NBA Today, hosted by Malika Andrews, offers exclusive content Monday to Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. Get caught up with the latest around the NBA on NBA Today on ESPN and the ESPN app. One app, one tap, and also available as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast, bright and early in Los Angeles, California, on Monday morning, where I wanted someone to talk to me about the two topics that I have brought up to me most often in the last five days of NBA discourse, other than Ben Simmons, I guess, and they both start with C. One is the Cavaliers, that's a happy story. And the other is COVID, which is a crappy story that mm. uh, the Bulls, Woj just reported, Elise Johnson is now their 94th player in protocols. I have no idea how they're going to play. To help us uh, discuss both of these C topics, uh, there was the first person I thought of when I thought of Cleveland was LeBron James. I don't think he's available to talk about the Cavaliers. Second person, Brian Windhorst. How are you? LeBron is sleeping. Haven't you heard? He sleeps like 12 hours a day now. That's his new thing. I guarantee he's sleeping right now. Maybe I'll relay that to my wife and be like, hey, honey, LeBron, 12 hours a day. Look how he's performing. Third all-time in minutes, still a top five. I said he was still the fifth best player in the NBA right now. I grandfathered him into the fifth number five slot. We did this thing on NBA today, and it's like, is LeBron still a top five player? I said the four best players in the league this year, in whatever order you want to do it, KD, Giannis, Steph, Jokic, and I'm grandfathering LeBron into five because he's LeBron freaking James. That's fair. I feel like that's fair. And if he can still do that sleeping 12 hours a day, what might I do sleeping 12 hours a day? <laughs> yes, he's he's talking about his his REM sleep, which I think is he you know has some sort of uh, he has several apps that he represents. He may be trying to like do a little product placement, but um, listen, man, I made the decision. I'm gonna yeah, I made this decision with Tim Duncan too. Anybody who wants to get out in front and say LeBron's done, and they even may be right, go ahead. It ain't going to be me. Now, look, if he's hurt, he's hurt. But it ain't going to be me. I'm not going to be the one that's going to say, yeah, he's, he's no longer a top player because I've seen, it, I've seen it too much. But I will say, I will say, I also think, you know, he needed to have a good game and a high-energy game because everybody saw him Saturday night go to Phoenix to see his son play. And then he comes back on Sunday and plays against Orlando, and he had a super high-energy game. If he had had a low-energy game, you know people would have been like, oh, that's what happens when you go see your son play in Phoenix. So there's always that stuff going on in his head. Look, I had this argument with Simmons on a podcast, Bill Simmons, not Ben Simmons, uh, on a podcast before the season. And we were talking about who the best player in the NBA is. And I was like, well, you know, it's, it's right now it's like Giannis, KD, LeBron. And he stopped me. I, I may be slightly off on the paraphrasing because this is off the top of my head. He stopped me. And he's like, no, LeBron's out of that discussion. LeBron's done. Like, LeBron's out of that discussion. We, it's, it's time. And I said, look, respectfully, like, he was going to win MVP last year yeah. before he got injured. And, like, with one game, with one game to win one game, game seven of the finals – I still don't know that I'm picking Giannis and Durant as incredible. I mean, Durant just had 51 points against the Pistons last night with the, the both Harden and Kyrie out. I still don't know that I'm picking those guys over LeBron. Now, the minutes and all that. Anyway, this is a, we're off track, but I, that's sorry. my point. These aren't C's. Sorry, sorry. Let's talk about the Cavs. Um, and and you, you began your NBA career covering this team. You saw them through lows, more lows, some other lows, then some highs, <laughs> highs, 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 highs. And then they went back to low after LeBron yeah. left in free agency for the second time. Right now, Mr. Windhorst, they are 16-12 and 12 
19th in offense, third in defense, in a virtual tie with the Bucks for fourth in net rating and first among all Eastern Conference teams. They have faced the toughest schedule in the NBA by winning percentage. And it's not one of these fake ones where you look and it's like, oh, they've played eight road games and 16 home games. It's an even split of home and road. By many metrics, they have been the best team in the East this year. Here's what I wrote about the Cavs before the season when I did my tiers. I had them in a tier by themselves. It was called the George Costanza freshly discarded eclair <laughs> tier, which is a Seinfeld reference. Was, I love which, I love how you're sticking with the Seinfeld references. I, I mean, I, half of your readers don't know what you're talking about. I don't care. I, okay. Well, it's on Comedy Central now, so more people are going to be uh, introduced to it. Um, okay. And I and I and the point was, I you had think a lot of above, your younger readers are watching Comedy Central. Okay, go ahead. I, I had them above all the teams that were bad. The Pistons, Thunder, Rockets, Magic, on and on and on, and a tier of their own. And I said, if enough things hit, they could be within shouting distance of the play-in race. Whoops, I underestimated the Cavs. Here's what else I wrote. I, I questioned their depth, which I still worry about. I said, building anything like an average defense will be a challenge. Uh, wrong again. Uh, they are third in defense, and Mobley is obviously incredible. I don't even know where to start with this team, Wendy. What's, what strikes you as, as interesting to talk? I mean, like, lo- zooming out. The two biggest, the three biggest things that happened to them were picking Garland, picking Mobley. And you can sit here and tell me, well, those are no-brainer picks. Plenty of teams don't make the no-brainer picks. Plenty of teams miss the no-brainer picks. And we look back years later like, oh, my God, how did they miss that? And then the heist of the century, butting into the Harden deal to get Jared Allen. And when you look long-term at the Cavs, there's a lot of noise and players and sexton around this, but Garland... Mobley Allen is a really exciting foundation to start with. The Allen trade is a transformational trade for the team. And then the lottery that they get the number three pick in a year where the number three pick could get a really good player. And the Allen trade, not only do they do it now, the reason that they were able to put it together, you know, remember they kind of, the trade sort of came together and they're, they're trying to move around. They had previously been trying to trade for Jared Allen. So they had, um, you know, Talks that had gone on with the Nets and, and you know, knew what we were willing to do. Um, and I actually, I was at a Nets-Cavs game a couple of weeks ago. And Sean Marks, the GM, was there. And he came out on the court and Jared Allen was warming up. And Jared came over and gave him a hug. I was very happy to see him. And I was like, you're damn right he's happy to see you. <laughs> so I told this to Sean. I go, you, you gave him a trade that got him to a place that was going to pay him $100 because I don't think the Nets would have. Um and so that trade was terrific. Um, but they also took Tory and Prince in that trade, which was part of the, everybody talks about how they got it for sort of a bad first round pick. It was from Milwaukee's first round pick, which I think the Nets ended up using for Cam Thomas. Is that right? Or maybe I love Cam Thomas. I just, love, I don't yeah. even know if he's going to be good. I just know the guy loves to shoot and I enjoy the whole experience. By the way, do, do you know who loves Cam Thomas? Kevin Durant. I've actually gone to a couple of Nets games recently. Kevin Durant loves Cam Thomas. And Cam, the other day, uh, in I was at a game in Atlanta. Um, there was a moment where it looked like Cam Durant was open and Cam shook him off and then took a three and he made it. And after the game, the, the writers asked him, did, did Cam Thomas shake you off? He goes, hell no, he didn't shake me off. I wanted to take that shot. I literally but, um, joked with Bobby Marks on my podcast on Friday. 
I can't wait for the moment when Cam Thomas waves off Kevin Durant and takes like a crazy off the dribble three, and then it happened. Yeah, yeah. He also the other game I went to, he he claimed that he beat Durant one on one, and Durant said, "Hell no, he didn't beat me a one on one." But again, Cam Thomas is still making these claims. Durant's denying them. I don't know. I like anyway, these one on one games that become mythologized and people yeah. argue about them like it's very simple like the, the classic one is kobe stackhouse when kobe's in high school and stackhouse is still claiming and i don't even know who to believe anymore that all this idea that kobe wiped the floor with him it's all made up it's all a lie and like how how do we not just have a definitive answer to like who won in one-on-one hey if you're gonna you know argue with jerry stackhouse i wish you luck if stack says it happened especially if i'm in the room i go i believe you stack i'm not messing with him um, so anyway, they make that trade. They get Torian Prince because they're willing to take on the money. It wasn't just a first round pick, but they were willing to warehouse the money. And then they flipped Torian Prince for Ricky Rubio. So that's, a, that's the thing about that trade. They took, they took that deal and they, they got Jared Allen and Ricky Rubio out of that deal. That's a big factor because Rubio has been huge for them, especially since Colin Sexton got hurt. So that moment, and even though that trade kind of derailed their, their season last year, because they were doing okay. And um, when Jared Allen came in, they had one too many big men and ended up trying to massage the ego of Andre Drummond. It ended up leading to a buyout. And they got criticized a little bit for that trade. And But it was the right thing to do. They knew Jared Allen was a, was a great value. So then, you know, you're talking about how you're regretting or you think that you were just wrong about them at the beginning of the year. Well, they didn't think they were going to be this good. I was they like didn't 30%, know. I was like 40%, 35% right and 65% wrong. I was like, I had a frisky little optimism, but this is, I mean, there's no world in which anybody would have said by many metrics, they'd be the best team in the East after whatever games. Yeah. So, so they're 16 and 12. I think they're 0 and 4 when Mobley doesn't play or 0 and 4, 1 and 4 or something like that. So he, he missed some, like a week and a half or, or so with a, with an elbow injury, they lost every game, and all those games were at home. They ran a homestand. If he had played those games, you could figure that they probably would even be better than sixteen and twelve. And then, as you mentioned, they're sixteen and twelve with the toughest schedule. So there's they're, they're probably you know a twenty win team masquerading as a sixteen win team. So I don't know if they'll keep it together. But those those factors, Jared Allen, then. Rubio coming out of the same move. Then they they get the number three pick in the lottery, and Houston falls in love with Jalen Green. And that decision may end up being the correct one years from now. But and if and if and if Houston had taken Evan Mobley, the Cavs would have taken Jalen Green and been very happy about it. But but they get Mobley, and they didn't really. I mean, from what I understand, Houston didn't even really seriously consider Mobley. So no, there was no, everything I've heard is there's, there was no suspense in like the, there was nobody in the Cavs draft from like fingers crossed, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. They don't take Mobley. Like they knew they were getting Mobley. Right. Right. And so, um, you know, I talked to JB Bickerstaff about, about Mobley. Cause I, you know, I don't know, I don't know him, you know, he's still young and they're like, we, you know, we really like him. We really liked him. We really liked his dad. You know, his dad is an assistant coach at USC and sometimes you get, um, coaches sons who are entitled and sometimes you get coaches sons who are hard workers and you know usc hired the guy to get evan and his brother i mean i'm always skeptical of that i'm not in the usc locker room i don't know but jb said no 
his dad knows what he's doing. And we knew um, that he had raised, uh, you know, a, a guy who was going to be coachable and it was smart and cared. And so then Mobley goes to summer league and he didn't do that well. And he got pushed around. And that's always a big concern when you talk about these 19-year-old guys coming into the NBA. But he's, he's, he's a little bit lightweight. And he, didn't, he wasn't great. And he got, he got beat up. And his reaction to that was to immediately come to Cleveland. Uh, I remember he stayed in L.A. He basically reached out to the team and said, I want to start doing uh, weight training and work training right I can tell you, I can tell you because, spoiler alert, Mobley is uh, scheduled to be coming on my podcast this week, so okay. I've done some background. He called the Cavs preemptively right. and was like, is there any way you could, like we can send someone out here to help me? train get stronger in la and they were like, they were like uh, they'll be on the next flight yeah it was like we just picked you third buddy like what do you want you want the whole training staff like what, what can we get you <laughs> right so you know they loved that and you know jb i think he is trying to he doesn't want to get put the cart in front of the horse to use an old saying he's so excited about evan's potential but he doesn't want to make any assumptions but the reason that evan is so remarkable is that they end up with Allen and and Mobley. Allen, who they put a hundred million dollars contract into, and it was questions about whether they, whether they could play together. And not only can they play together, but it turns out they are beasts. That they work together because they both have great versatility, and they were the twenty fifth defensive team last year. Twenty fifth. Now it's not the same team, but you go from twenty fifth to third in a year. That is unheard of. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. For the ones who get it done! Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge, and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. So to your point, I, I think everyone's going to be looking for red flags about is this a fluke? The only red flag, it's not even red, it's orange is that opponents are shooting the second-worst percentage on threes. Now, we're going to talk about that, right? Because we did this with the Knicks last year. We said, oh, they're a fluke, they're a fluke, and it just never normalized. Here's here's the here's the opposite of the red flag, whatever the, the good marker is. Basically, everybody in their rotation, so their top eight, nine guys, all have really good net ratings. Like, whoever is playing, the core lineups are all really good. The starters, the current starters without Sexton, are plus 19 per 100 possessions. The big three, three big guys, Markin and Mobley Allen, are plus 11 per 100 possessions. When Mobley plays without Allen, so he plays center effectively, plus six. When Allen plays without Mobley, plus two or three. Love is plus five per 100 possessions, which, by the way, it's kind of a nice story, the Kevin Love thing, because they signed him to this extension with the idea of this will be a tradable contract. That didn't work out. Then there was like the whole noise about buyouts. He's not taking a cent less. And 
he could be, you know, Kevin last year I, I does not hide his crankiness on a losing team very well. Let's put it that way. There have been many on-court semi-tantrums where he throws the inbounds pass to the Raptors and throws the fastball at Jetty Osmond and you know, gets the three-second violation on purpose when he's in the lane for seven seconds because he's like, well, anyone pass me the ball? He's playing. Doesn't shoot. Takes the whole game and doesn't shoot. He, he's playing pretty well, and you watch him on the bench. Their game against the Kings the other night, it was like – the Barnum and Bailey circus broke out at whatever that arena is called. It was just alley-oop after alley-oop after alley-oop. The Kings were like the Washington Generals, and Love is on the bench going insane. It's like running over to the baseline behind the basket to celebrate and like like jumping, doing the hip bump jump with Lowry Markin. It's kind of a cool story. So when you look at how many players out there on big contracts are like in, you know, these are disaster situations. We have a disaster in Philly. We have, you know, I don't even know how the John Wall situation is going to go. Um, it's not, I don't think it's in a good place. It's, you know, it's just sort of going along. Who plays more minutes this year, John Wall or Kyrie Irving? They're currently tied at zero. <laughs> uh, it's a really good one. It's another podcast, though. I don't know the answer. I can't, I, you know, there's too much to not see, but I, I, I got to believe Wall's going to play at some point. Um. You know, and here's the thing, like you just said, Kevin pouted for the last couple of years, had injuries. Um, wouldn't, you know, they they couldn't get, really get anywhere on a buyout. Kevin didn't want to give up any less money. The Cavs, you know, they said they didn't have buyout negotiations, but of course they had, they discussed it. What are you, are you crazy? He goes to Team USA. Um, and I know Jerry Colangelo probably was too coarse in talking about how bad he was. Um, but, he was terrible. You know, they basically said, we can't afford to have you as one of our 12 men, Kevin. I'm sorry. You got to go. And the Cavs were like thrilled over the moon that Kevin was going to go play in the Olympics because they thought, oh my God, somebody might want to trade for him. And when, when, when not only did he not effective, but he couldn't get out of training camp, they were like, oh my God. So for the fact that this guy, by the way, he's like, a, now he's not producing like a $30 million player, but he's a plus player for them. He is the first big off the bench and is – the other day he had like four blocks or something like that. 39% on threes. Can still post a mismatch if you switch. Um, defensively, it's a problem, but he can pass. Like he, he, he's, a, he's sort of a tailor-made offensive-oriented bench big at this point, which is fine. Yeah, he's – he. so the, the, the Cavs' problem is that their wing situation is a disaster. Um, and one of the things that's been remarkable in this last 10, 15 games is that Jetty Osman, a guy who's been, you know, left, he, he was out of the rotation, um, at times over the last two years, like he, he was, you know, uh, he was reanimated and has played like some of the best basketball of his career. If you're looking for something that may not continue, um, I don't know if Jetty Osman can, cause he's like really helping them there. You know, they have Isaac Okoro, who's really a two. Uh, that they were trying to play him at three. And it's just, you know, he's not a good offensive player. He's good defensively, but it was hard to play him uh, with Sexton and Garland. And so they, now that unfortunately Sexton is out for the year, it clarified his role a little bit, but, but they don't, but they don't have a scoring in that spot. Their wing situation, like they love how hard this guy Lamar Stevens plays, but Lamar Stevens is, shouldn't be a frontline rotation player night in and night out. Um, so I don't know if the, you know, they're, they're, 
their focus as they try to improve this roster this year and into the future is going to be to, to deal with the wings. But at the, at the, you know, it's been a breakout year for Garland um, after Sexton got hurt, which is hurt them. Cause you mentioned that the 19th offensive team, they struggle at times to score and not having Sexton, their leading scorer in the last couple of years factors into that, but it has clarified the roles for Garland and Okoro and it is Garland has, has benefited from it. And he plays pick and roll with Allen and uh, Mobley, and he's just devastating. I wrote a couple weeks ago, Garland Allen is becoming Central Division Trey Young, Clint Capella with the chemistry that they have. Garland's ability to disguise whether he's going to shoot a floater or throw a lob. Jared Allen's post game this year has been a revelation. Like if you if he gets a deep seal even against a big guy, he has all these. So one of the one recent announcer was like, he looks like Kevin McHale out there. I'm like, all right, let's let's say like Kevin McHale was. Pretty artistic. Jared Allen's not very artistic, but he, he yeah. can score. Um, so Okoro, you can read this. You can read this any way you want from the perspective of is Sexton still part of the picture? Obviously, he's going to be a restricted free agent this summer. They didn't extend him. He's injured. It's not a great situation for him. You can read it as exactly what you just said. He gets injured. They move Okoro from the three to the two, which is his position defensively. And Okoro, by the way, has been kind of frisky off the dribble lately and in transition. He's physically strong. He's not hesitating. Obviously, he's shooting 24% from three, and no one is, is – he's Tony Allen out there in terms of the defensive attention that he doesn't draw. Um, but he, he, he he's kind of a physical two-guard. He's got, got some interesting stuff going on. And so you want to say this team is now Garland, Mobley, Allen, Sexton. They, they've taken off without Sexton. They, they don't need him. On the flip side – they are thin on the perimeter. You know, Jetty went from power forward. We're playing half his minutes at power forward, and now he's a wing all the time. And with Gar, the only the other red flag is Garland on the floor. They're plus eight per one hundred possessions, one hundred and ten points per one hundred possessions. Garland off the floor minus five, and the offense falls off a cliff. And that's where yeah. you wonder. And honestly, like. I think they'll be able to re-sign Sexton at a rate where they could trade him down the line if they decide that's what they want to do. Sexton is definitely going to have suitors in free agency. Um, the Cavs are aware of that. They're ready for that. I don't know what the answer is, but I, don't, I wouldn't rush to bury Sexton as not part of the long-term picture. If I had to bet, I would bet he is on another team in two or three years, but I wouldn't feel great about that bet. Yeah, there's some there's some folks who are saying, well, maybe they should trade Sexton now to a team that wants to resign him to get his rights. And I'm like, I would be very careful doing that. You know, the the trick on Sexton is selling him on what his role is going to be. Um, and I don't, you know, he I think has sees himself. Well, I don't, I don't want to speculate on what he sees himself as, but the role that he they would that he would be perfect for would be as a sixth man combo guard off the bench, the Jordan Clarkson role. And that's not the role that he's played the last couple of years. The last couple of years, he's been the center of the offense, highest scoring, highest uh, usage rate guys. And I'm sure that he wants to be paid like one of those types of players. He wants to be Trey. He wants to be paid more like Trey Young, not like Jordan Clarkson, who got 13 million a year. So I don't know if that's going to work. But if they could somehow convince him to play the Jordan Clarkson role, whatever they sign him to, then I think he could be really be effective for them. But I don't think they can start Kim and Garland together. I think you know they, they need to, they need to go find even other 
guys with size that they can put out there. And, and Sexton needs to play that, that spot. And, um, you know, the fact that they are thriving right now isn't so much of a commentary on Sexton. I think it's a commentary on just how good Allen and Mobley are and Garland, his, his, his chemistry with them, as opposed to what is uh, anything negative about Sexton. Garland belongs in the all-star conversation. Frankly, all three of them should be on Garland. Allen Mobley should be on your at least long list when we start looking at, at all-star. <clears throat> I want to just re- briefly get back to the red flag thing. Um, I don't, I, I, when I watch this team, I don't feel like they're getting lucky defensively. First of all, they don't allow a lot of threes. I think they allow the eighth fewest threes in the league. And second of all, this is kind of what happens when you're long and you play hard. Like a lot of those threes are not like wide open, you know, check the win kind of looks. The other thing is they allow a ton of shots at the rim, but their first lowest field goal percentage allowed at the rim, which is another thing that's parallel with the Knicks last year. That feels completely legitimate to me. Like you cannot do anything with Allen and Mobley at the rim. Like that feels completely sustainable. I don't look at this deal. If you're going to tell me teams shoot average from three for the rest of the season instead of way below average, that's fine. Still looks like a top five defense to me. They should be a better rebounding team than they are. I think they're like an average rebounding team. When you're playing big like this, you should be a better rebounding team. But I, it looks those two guys are just incredible, def- really good defensive players at the basket and in Mobley's case, all over the floor. I think they surprise some teams with how much, how effective their length is. Um, they're just, it's not the way the NBA is, is played this, this, uh, in this era. You just don't have multiple seven footers out there at one time. And um, I, I've seen it. You watch teams, especially early in games, they go in there and they're surprised how difficult it is to shoot in there. And you, you referenced that, um, that run they had, that minute and a half run against the Kings. It was Friday or Saturday night? I can't remember. Well, all of these breaks, these you know, they had you know they had uh, fast breaks. They were all triggered by block shots, and I, you could just see the Kings going in there were not, you know, Western Conference team. Obviously, they know it's on the scouting report. Obviously, they're aware who they know who those players are, but being told on the scouting report and going and facing it is two different things. And at the beginning of the season, uh, I mean, the reason that they start marketing. Uh, Mobley and, and uh, Allen together isn't necessarily because J.B. Bickerstaff came up with this epiphany and said, everybody's playing small, we're going to play big. It's because their wing situation was so bad that he, this was the best he could This was the best he could come up with with putting his best players in the court. And he just tried to say, we're going to balance the strengths with versus weaknesses. And it's resulted in a, in a, in a zig while, the rest of, while everybody else is zagging. And, and they benefit from catching teams uncomfortable with it. Although I will say, pre-plague, nobody was paying attention, right? Like a month pre-plague when they got Drummond. They started playing these goofy triple big lineups, and it was mostly Nance, Love, Thompson. And everyone was like, well, that's cute. Nance at the three. Like, what are you guys doing, really? Like, is this a serious thing? And they worked. They were good. And I wonder if, like, sometimes you get these little dumb things that happen for three weeks that just sticks in the back of the brain of a coaching staff. Like, that's interesting that that worked. Maybe that little thing emboldened them to like, hey, let's at least roll it out and see if it works. Yeah, I mean, um, again, it's because they just haven't had wing talent. You know, part of it is they wanted to put their best players on the court. And, you know, they also 
told Kevin Love at the start of the season, look, we just drafted a friend, a foundational player who plays your position. You're going to come off the bench. And, you know, they, they've sold it to him. So, uh, you know, JB should, you know, should really be getting a lot of attention for coach of the year because Agreed. the way he is, the way he has um, sold these guys on this, he gets them to play hard. He has a nice balance of, you know, really young guys, but, you know, Rubio um, provides, you know, calm leadership. Um, they, 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 you know, other than the fact, again, that they don't really have good wings in a league that's dominated by wings, they've really taken what they've had and, and made the absolute best out of it. And it's not something we see a lot in the NBA. We don't often see teams dramatically overachieve. Most of the time we think very highly of teams and they underachieve. Um, and that's why this has been a bit of a honeymoon situation. And I feel like people in Cleveland, they were, they had everything in their sports fans in Cleveland had everything in their lives geared towards this being the year the Browns were going to go to the Super Bowl. And their Browns have been an underwhelming team. They're, they're barely above 500 and the Cavs. I don't know if they've been paying enough attention to them. The, the Browns have been this huge disappointment. The Cavs have been this huge overachieving success story and uh, I would say to everybody, stop worrying about the Browns and start paying attention to the Cavs. Let's pivot and do five minutes on the most depressing topic in the world, which is yeah. uh, COVID is back in the NBA, uh, despite the fact that something like 97 or 98 percent of players are, are vaccinated. Obviously, this new variant is incredibly transmissible. And let's just focus on the NBA issues and, and what's happening. Uh, the Hornets had an outbreak. They've kept playing through it and have played Pretty well, honestly. The Bulls now have, I think, nine players in health ten. and safety protocols, including Levine over the weekend and Alize Johnson ten. today. I think he was number ten, but I think Kobe, Kobe White is coming out of him, so maybe yes. it is nine. Yeah. So I don't know. The bottom line is like it's unclear if the Bulls can field a team. My understanding is pre-Thanksgiving, vaccinated players were only being tested if they were symptomatic. Right. Or if there was some cases of positivity on the team and they sort of ramped up the testing regime. After Thanksgiving, they obviously ramped up the testing regime because of the holidays. Now, if you have some positives on your team, you're they're escalating testing. Sometimes, I think daily, it's, it's become daily testing while, they, while the NBA deems it necessary unless, unless teams have an off day. I'm told they're going to start testing vaccinated players on game days if they are not boosted by sometime in the middle of this month. So I guess I'm not a doctor. Welcome back to Zach Lowe's medical hour, uh, which no one ever wanted to hear again. But I, I just, I worry, not worry, but obviously people are going to catch this. I, I worry that this bull situation may not be a super anomaly in like three weeks. What are, what are you hearing? Yeah, so obviously the big difference between because people have already pointed out more players have tested positive this year than last year. Um, the big difference between last year and this year is that they don't put players into quarantine for contact tracing if they're vaccinated. So if you guy you sat next to on the plane um, test positive, you don't have to shut it down for seven days or whatever it was. Um, and they also are not testing every day. So um, before, if you had a player test positive, you caught it pretty fast. Uh, now uh, there could be an outbreak within a team that is not even noticed until it's too late. Um, and that's why. In, in other words, in other words, I, if my understanding is correct, 
pre-Thanksgiving, it is likely certain possible that positive players were playing and nobody realized, which is like I, I, I think it's virtually guaranteed. <laughs> Probably many of them. And so that's the next. I don't know if it's six months, a year, a year and a half. Eventually, and you already hear grumblings about this from teams and players. Eventually, the discussion is going to be: Can vaccinated players just play if they've tested positive? And obviously, the league is rightfully not even ready to go there yet. But that—that's as if this Bulls thing. If there's like five more examples of this, they have to start postponing games. I—I I, I don't know what will happen, honestly. Well, we just have to be honest. So the the Omicron variant is is probably already the dominant variant in the United States, but it certainly is in South Africa and already in the in the UK, and it's already here. I mean, by the time we even heard the word Omicron, it was already here. Let's be honest, we've all learned about how, uh, we've all learned about viruses in this last couple of years. Um, you know, one of the things that they have found in South Africa is that there are people who, they're finding a lot of positives and people who, are, who don't even have symptoms. Um, they're like, they come into the hospital for something else and they do a standard COVID test. So I'm like, oh my gosh, this person has Omicron. So, you know, you know, part of it's going to be that there's going to be all kinds of even more than before. Um, and so the real thing is that, you know, the NBA, um, you know, they they got to a place where they were comfortable living with COVID and how far they're going to push the bounds to that um, are going to be seen. The Bulls have not missed any games despite 10 different players testing positive. You know, their season has been negatively influenced by this because they're losing some games and they're losing uh, some of their best players. But the players who've had COVID this year, um, you know, all, the overwhelming majority have been vaccinated. They certain some, some guys have been affected more than others, but generally the guys have bounced back. And so, you know, if that's the new reality, that's going to affect, you know, the way the league goes forward. The other thing is they don't have a second half schedule that they haven't scheduled yet. Remember last year, they just, they put up the first half of the season and then waited. They don't have, they don't have space in the system. So um, obviously, if they feel like there's a, there's a serious danger, they're going to do what they have to do. But, you know, that's going to be a driving force. They, they want to get all teams to play 82 games. And so um, I think they're probably going to be pretty, you know, I think there definitely is going to be increase in testing to try to prevent outbreaks. But I, I don't think all of a sudden we're going to see, like, whole teams shut down like we did last year. No, they don't want to do that. And as you said, the schedule really hasn't allowed for it now the bulls are obviously reaching a critical point where it's unclear if they can feel the team and you also don't want like the sixers went through this last year you don't want guys playing 47 minutes in three consecutive right. games because you have That's no choice right. i mean that that goes against all of the resting you don't, and look. you don't want it but they will do it yeah and the hornets by the way just announced that uh jalen mcdaniels and mason Plumley have been cleared from the health and safety protocol so they're on the way to getting whole wendy you got to go this will yeah, be yeah. Cavs week on the Low Post Podcast, but you you, you are an Ohio guy and have been so for a long time. It's great to talk to you, and uh, I want to come on the Hoop Collective. Bring me on. I owe you an appearance. Bring me on for let me Let me yell at Bontemps, or let Bontemps yell at me, or let me yell at you, or let's, let me just yell. We're going to come have you come on and talk about your spectacular new haircut for this season. You know, everyone's it's making been, fun of the haircut. I'm not making fun of it. I think it's spectacular. I can't I get an honest assessment. So the guy, the guy cut my hair, and he said, "What do you want? The usual?" And I said, "This is like four haircuts ago." And I said, "Yeah, just a trim, like not too short." And I don't know if he heard too short or like short, or if he just made a unilateral decision. You're a moron. I'm gonna give you the haircut you should have. 
and he gave me this ultra short haircut, short on the sides, longer up top. And everyone in my life was like, well, that's the haircut you should have. And then Perk makes fun of it. Everyone makes fun of it. So now I'm sensitive. This is ending on a sour note for me. Now I'm sensitive and upset. Hey, hey, forget about Perk. I'm telling you, it looks good. And, you know, if you had a if you had like a personal stylist come in that you paid, you know, four figures to to consult with you and you don't want to say that, that's fine. No, that is. I'm just saying. That that person, whoever they did, did a good job. Why can't I be honest? You're talking to a person who literally has not bought an article of clothing in four years. I'm telling you, it looks good. It's one of the good developments of the NBA season to this point. And uh, I am all for it. I don't care what Perk says. Perk, Perk just makes fun of people to make fun of people. Look, we don't all have the luscious, thick, flowing locks of one Brian Windhorst. So we, well, some of us have to make I, do with I what used we got. To get, I used to get buzz cuts, you know this? And um, I had a consultant who they hired, you know, not, you know, he's just, it's one of the people that works at ESPN or, or works with ESPN. Like, you know, you have coaching, you have TV coaching, like you've got to grow your hair out. So like somebody did tell me, somebody who's professional you know, who, who advises people on, you know, tells people like what kind of suits to get. Like they told me, grow your hair out. So I will tell you that is honest. Like five years ago, they're like, grow your hair out. Free I, association. You can't think about it. Best NBA player hair. Go. Or most hair that you are most envious of. I use the same hair product that Kyle Corver used. And I even had Kyle show it to me back when he was a player because he had great hold in his hair. When I watch the Thunder, like eight minute segments of games go by, and the only thing I've paid attention to is Josh Giddy's hair. I'm like, it's just, it's just, it's, it's gorgeous. I can't. I, anyway, we're really. You got to go. This is, this is <laughs> right. getting really bad. Wendy, thank you, sir. Listen to the Hoop Collective a, twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays. Have a good week. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. All right, let's continue our run through the most depressing news in the NBA by bringing in of our Pelicans reporter, ace reporter, Andrew Lopez. Andrew, you reported over the weekend that there has been a setback in Zion Williams' recovery from foot surgery. 
what do we know? Are we even going to see this dude this season? Is this DEFCON 1 at this point? Because foot injuries and metatarsals and all of these things for very large humans are very bad. What is the sentiment coming out of Pelicans HQ other than weeping, I guess? Well, right now, they still believe that uh, Zion will have a chance to play this season. So let's let's kind of go back, I think, to December 2nd. That was our first major setback. Obviously, you know, we go back to media day and David Griffin says that, you know, he, he should be on track to play in the season. And Zion says, I'll be back for the first game. Well, those didn't happen. But the latest of the setbacks, uh, let's start at December 2nd. That was going to be the day Zion Williamson participated in a full five-on-five practice full team workouts, cleared to do everything. And at that point, it was just about uh, finishing off getting his conditioning right, and then he could make his day. That's 11, that's 11 days ago now. Correct. That day, we walked into the facility, and, and he was not practicing. <laughs> and from that day, they were like, hey, he's experiencing a little bit of a soreness. We're going to dial him back over the weekend. They had a road trip to Dallas and Houston. Uh, he was going to go back to just doing some shooting drills. And hopefully everything was going to be fine. Uh, everything was not fine. Uh, we got word uh, late last week. Obviously, we, we everything came out on Saturday. Uh, there has been another setback, and it is it is a bone healing issue this time. the The bone in the in the right foot that had been surgically repaired uh, was not healing the way they wanted to anymore, and it was apparent that the the dialing back had to be dialed back again. So now you're looking at probably at least a few weeks uh, of him going back to, to even where probably where he was before the season started. So it, it is a big delay for the Pelicans. And you're right to, to think, uh, you know, is he going to play this season? Um, I believe they're, they're. I mean, we're th we're thirty games in right. now. We're almost. It's not. We're not far from halfway through the season. It seems ridiculous to say that, but like at one point, look, they're they're five and five in their last ten games, which would give you and only five games out of the play in as as the Wolves and the Blazers have kind of limped back to the field. That would give you hope of like that's a make upable deficit if this guy comes back. But we're almost 30 in. What are they? They're 8 and 21. So they're 29 games in. Like, if you're talking a few more weeks, if that turns into six weeks, eight weeks, you know, at what point are you just throw the? Are you going to bring them back for the last 10 games? I mean, maybe. I don't think it's a ridiculous question to ask anymore, right? No, it's absolutely not. And I think they are. are here's the thing, though. When you go back to how long this process took the first time, and it was from, you know, obviously it took from when we announced it in September to, to stepping up until, you know, okay, now he's doing this part. Part of what he did before was part of the conditioning. That part has now kind of been taken out. He is, he is more conditioned than he was at media day. So that process can be quicker. However, they are not going to rush anything. Uh, they are going to continue to monitor this. Uh, the next round of scans, I know, I know I feel like it, with Zion, we were talking about the next round of scans for, for so long. Well, that's back. Uh, the next round of scans will kind of give them an idea of what they can do. And if he's out until, I mean, I don't know. I mean, if it's, is it all-star break where you pull the plug? Is it, do you get into March? I think at some point, I, I will say this. He wants to play basketball. This, this is not a situation where he is trying to uh, just sit. I mean, he it's it's hurting him that he's not being able to play. Um, 
So I, I could see him playing for the last 25-ish games if, if that's what he's available for. And they try to, if, if it's make a push for the play-in at that point, if it's just let him play. But um, they're, they're going to continue to monitor this, this foot injury and see, see where it takes him. Let's zoom out since you just said what you said about him being willing to play and wanting to play. Like, I, I understand that this is all hard to do, but what's the what's the what's the sentiment or the mood about a? Because there's all these rumors about it and rumblings, like about a his conditioning. Like, is his conditioning really as big of a problem as as people have made it out to be? And two. Have they started to sound the alarm on like the multi-year long-term outlook for his health, or is it still just like we think once this is done, he should be fine and like resume being this all-time you know rim score all-star level player? Let's start with the second one because I think that's the easier one to talk about first. Uh, I think they feel, and from what I've talked to to multiple people in the organization about, they feel that once he gets by this things will be be better and he'll be back on the right path. They understand that he is going to need a LeBron James-esque level of conditioning to, uh, or level of commitment to conditioning, I should say, in order to have a long career. And he is going to have to put more into his, into that side of things. Uh, he has done so since media day. Um, I know Tim mentioned on the on the on the podcast last week the 330 number. Um, that is long gone. That is, he is not 330. Uh, you know, was he? Did he come into Media Day large? Yeah, he came into Media Day bigger than normal because he is. He was. He couldn't run. He couldn't do anything for you know three or four months. The guy that I see right now, the guy that I see at shoot arounds and at practices and going around. He's going around to New Orleans high school basketball games right now. That's, that's been his thing this last week. He looks like the player I saw last year. He is at his playing weight from last year. He is the guy who looks like he, if it, you see him without a hoodie, without all this extra baggy clothes on, he looks like the guy who played in games last season. That being said, part of, I mean, at the end of the day, if he's 290 or 270, that's still a lot of weight on the foot. Right. So if, if, if people want him to be, I know he's listed at 285. If they said, oh, he needs to be 260, 265, it's still a lot of weight on the foot. I mean, you're looking at this and, and you're treating this as like he's a basically an offensive lineman in the NFL. So he still has, a, I think, a ways to go in terms of long term conditioning. But the Pelicans feel like that is a solvable issue and, and things have turned a corner on uh, in that aspect in the last, you know, two to three months. And what about the long-term? Because, you know, yeah. feet, large people, all of this, you start to worry. Like, you know, it's way too It's He's barely played in the NBA, right. but this is – look, we can talk about the Pelicans and we'll talk about – we'll zoom out and talk about what they have what what they have on their team now. But at some point, analyzing the team is like a fool's errand because – all, this is the guy. This is the whole thing. Now, we'll, maybe they get another guy in the drafts coming up. We'll talk about that too. <laughs> but it, I mean, if if he, I, I, what are they feeling like is is three years down the line? They're confident this is going to be in the rear view. They they are hopeful of that. I don't I don't want to say confident yet, uh, but they are hopeful if if he continues to do the do the things uh, that they've seen him do 
in the last two to three months and how he's attacked this rehab, they are confident that, or hopeful, I should say, that he will, this will be a blip and that he will be able to make it through. It may be sort of where they have to do some sort of maintenance three, four, five years down the line, but they are, they are hopeful that he will get to that point based off of what he has done and, and the, the level of, of commitment he's shown to the conditioning, like I said, in the last two to three months. Um, you know, could you, could you ultimately see a, a, a deal that is, you know, incentive laden or, or has like opt out, has in B level opt outs or, or clauses in there when it, when it gets to the foot, maybe, I don't know if they're to that point yet. I think part of that is going, they're going to have to see how this bone heals and make sure everything is good. And they'll probably continue to rescan and rescan, uh, as much as possible. So it's probably something that will be more more determined when we get to the end of this, where we see where the foot is, where we see how the bone has healed, and then you can kind of make it from there. But right now, hopeful would be the word I would use. Well, I mean, he's eligible for an extension after this season this already. Se- yeah, this I mean, summer. this is his third. This is his third NBA season, and you know the fact that you just mentioned the Embiid style deal is interesting to me because. I think even with his health issues, that's going to be a tough sell with his representation because I they rightfully think this isn't just a young star. This is this is Shaq yeah. with a handle. This is this is something. This is an all timer if he can be healthy. And so if they're com- if they're confident in his health, I'm not. I don't. I mean, but it is also optimistic that you're even you're even mentioning this idea of an extension because the real DefCon one fear not just in New Orleans, but I think for everybody who's rooting for small market, non-glamour market teams to have a fighting chance is the qualifying offer. And I haven't heard as much noise about that as I did six months ago, four months ago. I've always been somewhat skeptical that it's a real possibility. I, I do think he's the best candidate ever to do it, but you just it's just so easy to take the money and then figure it out later that I've always been skeptical of it. But I, it, I'm almost encouraged in a way that you're even mentioning the possibility of an extension. Here's here's the other thing about the qualifying offer. I think which is right now at I think 17 or 18 million for him uh, if he ends up signing that. Um, if he doesn't play, I think it's 41 games next year. And this is this is obviously I'm I'm going into Bobby Marks territory here. I think that qualifying offer drops to like seven million. It's seven or eight. Million. It's the starter criteria. Right. It's like the starter criteria so thing, if, right? That's a great point. I haven't looked at that recently. So. If he could be in a situation where, I mean, if this lingers into next year, then yeah, you would think you were going to have to take the extension just because that the whole part about taking the qualifying offer for Zion was, oh, one, it's it's 17 million. I can make it up in endorsements. But if that drops by 10 million dollars, well, that's that's a big thing for that year that you're you're already you're already taking a big risk. And I think it becomes a bigger risk um, at that point. So. If he is healthy and everything comes out for the bone scans, I don't think the Embiid stuff style thing is on the table. But if if we're still dealing with this in three months and things don't look great, I mean, I think that's when you start to have those type of discussions about what that contract actually looks like. Let's talk about the team, the basketball team that's currently playing basketball games. And like I mentioned, is five and five in their last 10 games, which really that's a parade, baby. Five and five with this roster in 10 games. Let's let's have some fun. Um they are last in the Western Conference. Yeah. 
the only teams in the NBA with, with worse, worse records than them right now are the Pistons and the Magic. Now, the Thunder and the Rockets, I think, are going to give them a run for their money. And, but there is like top there is an avenue of top three lottery odds. Let's take another shot at it. I, I've watched a bunch of their recent games. I, I think they've got something with this Josh Hart. Herb Jones, B.I., triple wing combination. Yeah. I kind of like it. Um, Graham, Valanchunas, Ingram. Like, they're, they're built to win now. They're trying to win now. So, they're, I, I, don't, I don't know that they have an intentional tank in them, but they are third worst in the standings right now. I mean, is there have they even begun mentioning the possibility of, like, hey, there is a possibility that we can add another blue chipper here? I think right now they, they have not. I think they still see they're they're looking at it glass half full. They see themselves over oh, five games out of the play in. If we continue on this path, and we're like you mentioned, they're five and five in their last ten. They are they, they've they've got a new kind of starting five, like you mentioned, with Graham Valanciunas at the ends, and then the Herb Jones, Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram wing combo. Herb Jones's arms are so long and so skinny, and they appear like out of nowhere for rebounds and deflections. Like you just start watching the game, and then there's an arm. I almost feel like his arm is going to come through my screen and slap me in the face. So, in in I think in two or two maybe the last three or four games, he's blocked a, like a few three pointers. Um, and I asked him about it the other day. I was like, "How do you like? Are you trying to time that?" Or he goes, "He told me he's like, look, man, I, I don't think people realize how long my arms are." I'm just putting my arm up there and sometimes I get the ball. He goes, I want to try to be the second jumper. And I just, sometimes I surprise myself. So I think even maybe, maybe Herb doesn't realize how, how long his arms are either. Uh, clearly opponents are still figuring that out, but he has been a great pickup right now for them. They picked him with the 35th overall pick in the second round. Obviously you knew that they liked him because they gave him the guaranteed deal, but this was a guy who didn't even start on the summer league team. He was like a finisher for them. They they weren't even getting to that. If you told me that at this point in the year there would be a rookie starting, I, I would have told you it was Trey Murphy. Um, but of some of the things that came out of Nashville with this team, the one about Herb Jones being a really, really good defender uh, has been the one that's been true. And they have been much better when Herb Jones is on the floor this year. Uh, you know, I think Josh Hart has kind of stepped his game up. And it's funny, we're talking like these top guys have been great, or I don't want to say great, they've been really good. JV's been really good this year. He's now matched, I think, his career, his season best three point total. He's got 32 so far in these 29 Dirk games. Valanchunas. Dirk Valanchunas. Valanchunas. They ran a pin down screen for him in that Clippers game to get a three pointer, which is one of the more amazing plays that I've seen uh, in the league this year. But with them stepping it up in that, uh, in that area, they just need better play from the guards right now. I mean, Graham has been up and down. Uh, Sadoransky has has been not very good. I know he's been dealing with that injury. He, he came into the season dealing with the injury that he suffered in the Olympics. I don't think he really maybe came into the season 100%. Now they're dependent on him since Kyra Lewis tore his ACL. Uh, so Sato's getting all of the backup point guard. And, and Kyra Lewis was have, was ha- had a nice couple of weeks before the injury. I, I've always kind of liked him but you would see it only in snippets and that's typical of the young players you see it in snippets and you have like three games you're like what is this guy doing or where is he he had put together a nice couple of weeks that's a real that's a real bummer and Sadoransky 
I don't know of many commentators who get as excited for run-of-the-mill basketball plays as Antonio Daniels, who I love as their color commentator. Every time Tomas Sadarinsky just shoots, all he has to do is shoot. Antonio Daniels gets so excited because Tomas Sadarinsky's go-to play on offense is passing up shots. So when he shoots, Antonio Daniels goes crazy. It's Look, it's because he just hasn't shot the ball much this year. I think he, I mean... You look at his points per like thirty six, and I mean it's extremely low. And so now, in fact, the the game that Kyra Lewis tore his ACL was Willie had start Willie Green had started. He was basically he was going to play Kyra at the end of the first and third. He was playing Sato at the the start of the second and the fourth. The game Kyra tore his ACL was the first game that he was like, all right, I'm going to a nine man rotation. Kyra's the backup point guard. Sato is going to be on the bench. And it and and just like that, and now Saddle's going to have to be forced to really like he's going to have to be more of a scorer. And I think you saw that a little bit in the San Antonio game. He started to get more shots up, but he's going to have to step up. Nikhil Alexander Walker, who we talked about a lot in the pre <laughs> the preseason podcast, uh, I think is is better as a six man. I think that's the role that is uh, the best for him, and especially where he's at right now. But he's going to have to start making more shots. Saddle's going to have to do it. And, and they may have to figure out how they're going to get another boost out of this backcourt. Uh, one of the things about Devontae Graham, we, going back to the Zion conversation, a lot of what this team does would be solved by having Zion on the floor because of what he is. But they built this team around Zion being able to play 15, 20, 25 minutes at point guard every night. And so a guy like Devontae Graham looks better next to a Z because he's going to get way more open shots than he is playing next to just just a Brandon Ingram. So Brandon in this last stretch, ever since you mentioned the five and five mark, I think that might be right after Brandon and Willie Green. I remember being at at practice and in where we where we do interviews at the Pelicans facility, Willie Green's office is right to our right. And it's got some big windows, and it's hard to block. And Willie Green and Brandon as he as he put up as he put up any decorations yet? Because you know, if I I'm like, well, Alvin Gentry didn't last long. Stan didn't. Stan Van Gundy didn't last long. Like, am I gonna should I even bother hanging up some some pictures in my office? I, Is there some decorations in there? He's got a he's got a very big TV, but he does have a lot of pictures hanging around. I will say that. Um, and one thing, and to to be clear, I'm I'm right. I'm jesting be, about the coaching. Well, I think Willie Green's done a fine job, and they're uh, they're committed to him long term. I'm just making jokes. And I will say this: Stan Van Gundy, when he took his office, he converted his office into more of a conference room. Like he kind of just he takes out the the single desk, and he he wants his coaches to meet in there. They have now converted it back to a regular coach's office, which is what I noticed during this meeting with Brandon. Brandon's sitting on one side of the desk. Willie's sitting there. It's a 15, 20 minute conversation. And we've asked both of them about it. And obviously they both kind of, you know, tried to play it down. But since that meeting, Brandon has been much, much better as a facilitator. I think he had a 12 assist game a couple of weeks ago against Dallas. I think he had nine. Uh, the other night, he probably should have had 13 or 14 against the Spurs on Sunday. But Brandon is starting to kind of come into his own as well, which is why I think they're not going to hit the the tank button right away they feel that look with jv playing the way he's playing with brandon playing the way he's playing playing the way josh and herb are if we can just get some better play out of the backcourt 
we're going to be fine. Willie Hernan Gomez has kind of supplanted Jackson Hayes and really given them a solid option uh, to kind of allow JV to rest. They're in a good a, a good spot with the front court. They just need the back court to kind of you know come up with them. You mentioned all the names I want to talk about, and you're right about Devontae Graham being a, a catch-and-shoot option around Point Zion because Devontae Graham is shooting 35% on threes this year, which is league average, but he's a huge minus on defense. He cannot hit two-point field goals at a, at a rate that he needs. He's shooting 41% on twos. Like He's just not good enough, particularly since they sacrificed Lonzo Ball essentially to get him or they, they effectively swapped point guards, and Lonzo Ball's been fantastic for the Bulls. He's just not good enough unless he's shooting 40% from three. He needs to be a high-volume, high-accuracy three-point shooter to be worth what they gave up for him. You mentioned Hayes and B.I. You're getting all the guys I want to talk about. I'm endlessly fascinated by Ingram. I wrote a big Ingram profile last year. So let's just like zoom way out. Throw Zion aside for now, Okay. Because they picked him number one. It's a home run for the organization. Throw next year's draft pick wherever it may be. The Pelicans draft pick off to the side. I think I've got this right. You tell me if I'm if I'm missing anybody or adding anybody who shouldn't be here. They traded Anthony Davis and they traded Drew Holiday. Here's what they have right now as the bounty from those trades. Brandon Ingram. Josh Hart. Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Jackson Hayes, Tomas Sadoransky, Garrett Temple, Trey Murphy, Devontae Graham, I think counts because he, he I, I'm not quite sure how much he counts, and like a million picks and pick swaps. Am I missing anybody? I think that is that is right right now. Maybe one of those, okay. maybe some, maybe Herb came with a second in some of that, and that's what they used because they had four second round picks last year in part of all these trades. So maybe Herb counts. Including sneakily, I think one of those seconds was Brandon Boston, and they sold that pick. Yes. I believe they sold that pick to the Clippers for just straight cash, yeah. right? For, and then they got like some token bullshit protected second round pick back. Yeah, I think it was like, but I think they got like the two mil for that pick. It was, yeah, that was a, it was going to be, it was a likely sold off pick to start with. But yeah, but it was the Brandon Boston pick. There's nothing that fans get more excited about than second-round picks being sold for cash. I mean, can you just imagine if fans get to walk around, man, I'm so glad they have all that extra cash. I'm just real. I hope they're using it well. Hope the meals got upgraded. Hope they did a nice paint job on the practice facility. Thank God. Yeah, Brandon Boston had 28 the other day for the Clippers. I'm glad we got that cash. That, that feels that good. New, the new paint job on the court in the facility does look really nice, though. <laughs> well, look, does uh, what's his name? What's the Pelican's name, the mascot? What's his Pierre? name? Does Pierre need a new costume? Does Pierre need a new beak? I mean, remember they broke out the first Pierre? The first Pierre was so scary to children that they had to remake. They had to give Pierre plastic surgery. Does he need any other updates? I will say, I don't don't think he does, but I I have been told that old scary Pierre is locked in a closet somewhere on the grounds of the practice uh, Pelicans facility, of the Pelicans practice facility. I... I just think they need to just bring it out for like a night. Like bring it out. If they have another game on Halloween, just bring out Scary Pierre. I will pay the Pelicans right now. I'm not going to name a figure. I'm just going to say I'm searching for a new Halloween costume. I'm open to, I'm willing to open negotiations with the Pelicans. If they sold second round draft picks for cash, I'm willing to talk about selling me the old 
horror movie, It the Clown, Pierre Pelican costume. For, and we can start talking cash negotiations. I'll open the bidding triple figures. I'll open the bidding. <laughs> That's all I'm willing to go. It's Look, it's worth it. I think it's worth it. I've, I have been told it is still still on the ground somewhere buried in a, a, a closet, but I believe it is there. So, so but my, my point in bringing up the AD right. Drew combined return is most of that return is picks and young players. And when you do that, unless one of the veterans really takes a leap, you're, you're going to sign up for some bad times if a guy like Zion gets hurt, right? So they have all these young untested players. Let's go through the list. Hart's fine. I love Josh Hart. I think Josh Hart's a nice role player and a good team. So much better this year because one one thing that he's done is he's attacked a basket more this year. Uh and, and now his three point percentage, I think, is 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 up this year as well. Um maybe it's gone back down since he, he he came back from injury, but his his overall has been much better, especially at getting downhill. Um his rebounding is still the same, but I've I've loved what Josh has done this year. Sato and eh, Temple and eh, Murphy again, young player. We'll see Graham and eh, I'm going and eh, considering that what the opportunity cost of Lonzo was the picks. We'll see to me. You start talking about Alexander Walker. He's been better lately. Yes. His turnovers are way down, which is good. He's run some really nice pick and rolls the last two or three games. Patient throwing little pocket passes that I like still shooting. I think 37% from the floor, 31% on threes. Um, Just, you know, whatever. We'll see. Hayes, like, look, it's great that they've gotten something out of Hernan Gomez. It's a disaster for the organization that Jackson Hayes can't play over Willie Hernan Gomez. You know, he's only 21 or whatever, but it's not not great. Um, The five picks after Jackson Hayes, Rui Hachimura, Cam Reddish, Cam Johnson, uh, Tyler Hero, and P.J. Washington. Any five of those, not great, uh, would help. Now, now they swapped. To me, the name that's the name that's going to haunt them is Darius Garland because they swapped the DeAndre Hunter pick for Alexander Walker and Hayes, who have not given them enough. I still have hope for Alexander Walker Hayes. I'm not sure about, um, but and DeAndre Hunter has been hurt all the time, so it's not like there's a ton. I mean, he's a better player than those guys and has done a lot more in the NBA, but he's been hurt all the time. Garland was pick number five, meaning you could have kept number four and gotten that guy, and then that changes your whole life as a franchise, but that's a what if. The bottom line is Alexander Walker, Hayes, not giving them enough quite yet. The picks we'll see. Ingram, I just I I I don't I still don't know what, what to think of Brandon Ingram. I I like his game. That's why I wrote about him. I think he's one of the most important swing players in the NBA. Like if he could become their ace number two, their Paul George, their whatever to Zion, you got something interesting there. You look at the numbers, Andrew, 23, 6, and 5 on 45% shooting, 36% on threes. His three volume is down. His mid-range jumper volume is back up. That's fine. And you're like, good numbers. Look almost identical to last year's numbers. The, the assists have stalled out. But then, as you pointed out, there's this, like, 10-day period where all of a sudden he's, like, Magic Johnson, like, 10 assists, 11 assists, 12 assists, 8 assists. Even last night against the Spurs, he had, like, four rim attacks where, including a spin in the post past Keldon Johnson, and then he dunked on Yaka Pearl. Like, first oh play of the game. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> and he extends his arms so long that you're like, I want more of this guy. 
And then you then you have games where you just it's the same missing feeling of like I know the numbers are there, but the impact doesn't seem to be there. I I just I, I want to be optimistic. I think he's a very good player, but I don't I just I keep waiting for the impact to match the numbers, and I don't think it's gotten there quite yet. Two two things that stand out to, to about Brandon to me. You talk about the, the consistency slash inconsistency. In his last seven games, he has 12 turnovers. It's great. Except, except when you look at the fact that in one of those, he had six. Um, so if you – even the, the, the last four, he has one – if you take out the six game in his last three, outside of that one, he's got one turnover in the last three games. He's – it, it, but it's still just a, a fluctuation that just kind of keeps going. The other thing about Brandon Ingram that stands out and will always stand out, because he had, even had the 40-point game in that stretch, I think he had the 40-point game uh, without any turnovers. But Brandon Ingram in the clutch has not been a very good player this year. Um, and I think what Brandon does is he he now, he's like, look, I got the contract. I'm the guy. And Brandon's mentality is I can do this. And I think he tries to put too much on himself at times. And it look, outside of JV, they're not really giving him much help on the scoring side. I mean, when the, when this team wins, they're winning usually on the defensive end. And Yeah, they're a terrible shooting team. They're a bottom 10, bottom 5 shooting team from everywhere on the court. Their whole shot chart is like icy blue. It makes me uncomfortable to look at. So I, th- I would even think Brandon Brandon's probably leaving. There's probably a few assists out there a game where you can see like, okay, his assists look the same as last year, but I think he's making, and this is just me off the eye test, I think he's making better decisions than he has in the last two years, um, especially in the last 10-game stretch since he, uh, he and Willie had that talk. Um, he's a good passer. He's a good passer. And my thing, and he, we dove deep on this with him. It's like, sometimes it's just about making the easy reads yes. that get you hockey assists or just keep the ball moving and the ball gets back to you maybe three or four passes later. And that those are like, it's not necessarily the fancy stuff, the draw two and no look bounce pass to the base. Sometimes it's just like, just kick it. But that's easy for me to say. It, when you're looking at like, well, I can kick it to Herb Jones. Well, he's not a good shooter. I can kick it to Hart. He's a league average shooter. I can get like, why am I kicking it to these guys? He's starting to trust guys more. And I think even he made a comment last night after the Spurs game about, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to make the right passes, but I'm not going to get the assist if guys don't knock down the shot. And he's not, he, he wasn't trying to, you know, dog his teammates right there. He was, that was just, I'm trying to do this and I'm trying to be more mindful of these things. But for him, I think uh, there was a game recently. It was a home game. It might have been the Dallas game or the Denver game where they were blitzing him on every screen. And I remember that that was usually the the scenario where, okay, Brandon's going to have a really bad turnover night or he's going to have a really bad shooting night. And that was one where he really started to make some passes out of those and realize, look, I got two on me. That means somebody else is open. And it, it really started to click for him. And I think I think that meeting with Willie has really kind of helped with him. They just they need more offensive help around them. Uh, and obviously, again, this goes back to there's a, a very large man who would come in and solve a lot of these issues, and this team was built that way. But with him not there, where do you go from here? And I think we've started to see them try to build more of a defensive identity with that Herb lineup, but they definitely need to start making down shot, making some shots and then getting some better play out their guards. 
that's the thing. I mean, they're 26th in defense without Zion, who has been a huge minus on defense when he's played. Like, he's not going to help your defense when he gets back. So there needs to be a better – and, like, JV is not a good rim protector. Like, that's all baked into it. B.I., I think, has been just okay defensively. I mean, that's been the story of his career. He, he doesn't I think make he's the impact defensively. Year. Yeah, he's been better this I think year. he's – okay is – Okay yeah, is okay better, is better for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I think he's been fine. Like, fine, okay to fine. Herb has been the guy that guards the best player on the other team every game, whether it's DeJounte Murray one game or Cade Cunningham the game before, which is great for B.I. because he doesn't have to do that. Um, last question, I'll let you go. What's what's the intel on David Griffin's job security? Um, is is he gonna is he gonna survive a bad season if this if this continues to go badly? I think they are what what they need to weigh what ownership will weigh is how much of this is is because Zion hasn't played and how much of this is is roster structure. I think they're going to let this play out. I don't think there's going to be any sort of you know in season move that I know they did. That's not usually how they like to operate. I know they did it a few years ago with with Dell and they let him go right after the the AD trade um, was announced. But they're they're going to let this play out and then they'll evaluate and you'll see where things are with Z at at that point. I mean, but if you're looking at it, I mean, you you go back and make all those picks. I mean, Cairo was starting to come up, but that didn't has hasn't played out uh, as they wanted. Jackson Hayes is buried on the end of the bench and has been for weeks. Nikhil is still waiting to make it. I mean, if you want to just look at the personnel decisions, it's been up and down and more downs than ups uh, in in what he's gotten. If you want to make a case for that, look, even without even without Z, we should be better than where we are. Okay, and I think you know ownership will take a look at that at the end of the season and and see where they are before making any sort of decisions. Interesting. All right, Andrew Lopez, you've given us a lot of time. You do an absolutely outstanding job covering the Pelicans. I'm not just saying that cuz you're here and you work for us like <laughs> Thank I, you. you you have the pulse of, you have the pul- you have the pulse of that place. You're grinding every day. Thanks for making a little time for us and and keep up the great work. I hope to run into you soon. All right, thank you. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.